So welcome everybody, and it's again a privilege, and thanks to the team for allowing me the spot again this morning. In Ephesians, we've been going through Ephesians, as you know, and it's all about unity, and it's been unity in the church and all those areas of our lives. Last week, Lisa and I spoke about uh, having unity in marriage, where your wives submit to your husbands, and the husband's loving your wife, and that symbiotic relationship, if you can call it that, it's, uh, it's getting the balance right, eh? And uh, importantly, this morning, if we go to the next chapters, we're we, going to Ephesians 6, from verse 1 to 9, where it's talking to the children. Husbands, wives last week, today children, and work, if we get there. Let's see how, how we do in terms of, in terms of time. So it's, it's all about how, how to have harmony at home. And guess what, kids? It starts with you. <laughs> no, it doesn't, but it's partly with you. And in this awesome text that we're going to see this morning, uh, Apostle Paul, not Paul Elliot, is talking directly to the kids. I personally think that it is our role as Christians to demonstrate to the world what family relationships should be looking like. Because guess what? The world has a very, very loud voice when it comes to children and raising of children. And I think, from observation, we've gone quiet, perhaps. The world has a louder voice than I would like to know that we have. And I think it is time, in the King James Version, the time is nigh that this no, was put no itsy do no omtrent, no. And it's amazing to me also about how the, we all talk about this family of origin, where you come from, and how you become what you were part of back in those days. And we've, we've spoken about the family of origin, how it influences your life. Parents, the way you are bringing up your children today is going to be their family of origin. It's going to be their source that they take themselves out of, and that's going to mold them when they get released into the world, and when they have become parents and when they so that's the key thing for me in kings uh, 2 kings 17 it says in verse 41 it says to this day children and grandchildren to do as their fathers do children are so smart at emulating what their family of origin is about what they get involved with in their home they're going to take with them for the rest of their days the good stuff and the bad stuff so it's up to us christian parents to to set the tone and set the heart of the family. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, uh, along the lines of, insanity is hereditary. You get it from your kids. I thought that was rather funny. But um, isn't it true sometimes how, as parents, a lot of us say things like, my kids drive me up the wall. They drive me to drink. I give up. I pull my hair out. And act lakes were blessed because of my kids. And I hope you're watching online. Blatters? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Give me a break. I need a holiday. The kids go to bed and what happens? You take out a stiff whiskey and you shake off the edges of the day because I don't believe that that's necessarily the truth. I believe a lot of parents feel that way because I was one of those parents too and I probably still am. But my kids have now fled the nest and they have their own families. And I shudder to think from a family of origin just from my side how they even survived, and how they've become such good parents, because clearly they didn't have a good example, certainly in myself. There was a, a lovely little story about a Catholic priest that was asked, so when does life begin? When does life begin? Is it at that moment of conception? Is it 
when they grace us with their presence in this world and they take their first breath and their lungs filled, is that that moment? He said, mm, no. I'm of the increasing opinion that life begins when your kids leave home. <laughs> we think this is complicated stuff and we think that there's no manual. Have you heard this? There's no manual for this. I'm just going to wing it. I've said that how many times in my life? There's no manual for this stuff. Who teaches you to raise kids? Your family of origin, right? But there is, folks. There is. There is a manual, and it's called the Bible. And what's my acronym for the Bible? Basic instructions before leaving earth. I love it, and I'm going to use that always. Okay, so there's some simple principles that the Bible talks about. And we kick off in Ephesians 6 from verse 1 to 4, and it says the following. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Which is the first commandment with a promise. And we'll look at what that promise is. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on this earth. And you, fathers, not mothers, you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Isn't it fascinating that Paul here is talking to? Who's he addressing here? In his letter, he writes to the people of the, the Ephesians, he's writing a letter, an apostle, an epistle. Not an apostle, he's the apostle writing an epistle. There's probably a poem in there somewhere. <laughs> he's writing and he's addressing the kids. So kids in the room, listen up. Listen up. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obedience, understanding your parents. Here's the assumption He's assuming that the kids are with the parents in, this, in, in church, right, when he's writing this epistle. He's addressing the children in a letter that he's writing to the Ephesian people in church. What is that saying? Where are the kids? They're at church. And here's the encouragement, just off the bat. Bring your children to church. Bring them to church because they're going to get fed. They don't necessarily need to sit here in this because this is adult speak, as it were. When they are youngsters, we have categories of people, when there are zero or categories of people, age groups as it were, and we've got fancy names for them, I forget what they are at the moment, but if you're between naught and something age, we've got, a, we, we've got preachers and seminars and services addressed for their age group, where they can take the nuggets out of them, because if they sit here, it's going to go meow over their heads, predominantly, right? So, key thing is, bring your children to church, that's the, the admonition, is that a big word, eh? it sounds like admonition sometimes. We need to teach them, and then it says, to, what's the second word that's highlighted there? Obey. Obey. What does the word obey mean? Do, do you ever need to teach your children to disobey? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it's what we call, fancy terminology, your Adamic DNA. When kids are born, they're born into sin, they just know categorically how to disobey. What do we have to teach them, parents? How to obey your parents. Before we go there, I want to define children, because it says children. In the Greek, the Greek word for the word child or children is a word technon. And the technon is defined as anyone who is living in your parents' house. If you're eight, 18, 28, God forbid, 38, and still living with mom and dad, you are a technon. What are you to do, technon children? 
Obey your parents. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Obey, regardless. The word obey, which is another word, and I went and looked it up in the Greek, is called hypercal. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's called hypercal, hypercal. And any sort of picture that comes to mind is the car jumped over the moon. There's a hypercal. Woo! It's like super on steroids or, I don't know, hypercal. <laughs> it's a hypercal, obey. And the context here is that of a soldier. And I used the analogy last week of being a soldier in the army, right? And when you're in the army, what is it that you want to do to not die? You want to listen. What's the officer commanding, telling you in that army context? Guys, we are going to be doing this. We're going to take this firearm. We're going to take that tank. We're going to and what are you doing? You are listening intently because if you do not, you stand a chance that you are going to snuff it. You will not be here at the end of the day. Okay, so that's an extreme. But that word, hypercal, hypercal, means exactly that. It means children... When your parents are speaking, when your parents are talking to you, listen intently because they have got wisdom, they have got value, they've got experience, and they've got love and your best interest at heart that they bring to the table, and they want you to hear that and listen to that. So, technon, hypercal. Not the case of, yeah, 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 mom, okay, dad, no, no. do it and listen as if your life depends on it. That's my, my challenge. It's like if... if you guys haven't been in the army, so let's draw on another analogy then. Another analogy, Carly plays netball, and somebody here might play rugby. What do you do when you're in that rugby game, and it's coming down to the last five minutes, and the coach or the captain calls you into, the, into a huddle, and he says, guys, this is the strategy. This is what we're going to be doing. We've got to win. The score's 15-12, like it was with the World Cup in 95. Okay, what, what are we going to do? What is our strategy? What is our plan? And you, and you huddle, and everyone agrees. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Kids, that's your analogy. That's how you should be listening to your parents. Bring your kids to church. Then it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Embrace the Lord. You are in submitting to your parents. You are doing that as if you are submitting to the Lord. Remember last week we spoke to the, the husbands and wives and we said, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love and support them. Submit to your wives as to Christ. Children, your responsibility is to submit to your parents as to the Lord. There it is. That's what the definition is of that. There's a, there's a hyper or a higher biblical principle. It's not just about mom and dad. And here's the thing. Mom and dad want the best for you. And sadly, there are parents out there that don't necessarily have the best interests of their kids at heart. A Christian-valued family principle is got your best intentions at heart always. They will not, your parents will not lead you down a road of sin. They will not get you to do something that is not found in this basic instruction before we leave earth. That's the heart of it. That's what they want as Christian, uh, Christian families and Christian parents. That's what they want for you. And if you do want to contest the child, because if you're in my house, I would say, Dad, or if you come to me and you say, Dad, but mm, I don't necessarily count that. I don't see value in that. I don't feel good about that, Dad. Or here's a better one. My spirit doesn't bear witness with yours, Dad. <laughs> Fivefold ministry? No, I'm joking. Child, if you want to challenge, uh, my, my encouragement to you is bring chapter and verse. 
and let's debate it with your parents because you are one family, right? And let's debunk and let's tell stories and let's pursue this thing together. It's the right thing to do. Kids, you're under my roof. This is the right thing to do. Be a technon hypercow. Ephesians 6 verse 2, it says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on this earth. The fifth commandment, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. What is the fifth commandment? Thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father, or father and thy mother. There it is. Again, this is not do it because I said so. The principles, the godly principles, the values that the Bible brings. It's got a promise. And what is the promise that it says here? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. The promise is that it may go well with you. That's the promise of God, that it may be well with you. Children, kids, what is the leading cause of kids not making it and surviving in this world today? Hmm? Not listening to parents. <laughs> no. AIDS, TB, suicide, all those kind of things. The heart of the parent towards you is to stop you not doing things that are going to get you in a place where it can cause you trouble and strife, heartache and pain. When your parents say to you, do not go out and sleep around, what is the heart of it? Statistically, one of the biggest killers in the world today in teenage circles is AIDS. Your parents don't want you to go and do that stuff. Why? They want you to live long and prosper. That's the heart of what a parent is about. There was a guy who most likely knew more than his mom and his stepdad. His name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. In Luke, it tells a story of the family and the people going from Bethlehem, I think, to Jerusalem for Passover. And it was by foot because there were no trains, bikes, cars, and stuff like that in those days. They went by foot, traveled three days or whatever it was to Jerusalem, and they celebrated Passover. The journey came back. Now picture this. Because there's no mass public transport, they all walked and journeyed on mass on foot. On their way home, a day into their journey home, Jesus' parents say, where's Jesus? And they're looking through the hundreds of people, thousands of people looking for Jesus. <laughs> Absent, AWOL. What did they do? <sighs> Another day back, they went to Jerusalem, and they hunted, Scripture tells us in Luke, for three days to find Jesus. And where did they find him? In the temple, preaching. And the words that were used here, it was said that... Um, People were amazed at his understanding and his knowledge that he had, and he was sharing with them. Mother Mary, Mary goes to him and says, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have sought you in great distress. Can you imagine using a child? He was 12. He was 12. Gone. Missing. Do you think mom and dad were stressed? Heck yeah. Do you think they were maybe angry? Do you think they had it in for him? Think, hmm? Jesus says, why did you seek me? 
Did you not know that I was about my father's business? Yup. This is God talking to his parents. You know what the very next verse says after this conversation? He went down with them and was subject unto them. Jesus, God, creator of the universe, son of, son of God, he knew perhaps more than his parents. It's not a sin. And sometimes you do. In pockets in your life, Carly, she's a fitness fanatic. Does she know more than us about fitness? Heck yeah. Why? Because she's studying it. That's not an issue. But here's Jesus, right? By analogy. He went down with them and subjected himself. Jesus subjected himself to his parents. What was the result? In the very next verse in Luke says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew, guys. He subjected himself to his parents and he grew. Later on in his life, what did he do? There was something about him. There was a presence. There was a, an, a, an anointing. There was a glow, a gleam in his person. So much so that when he was walking by, and he said, leave what you're doing. Fisherman, leave what you're doing. Come and join me. And what did they do? Right. He grew. He grew. A similar thing. I'm not saying you're Jesus by any means, but I'm just saying that when you subject yourself to your parents, Technon Hypercows, when you subject yourself to your parents, you're going to grow. You're going to grow in ways and means that you have no knowledge of. You're going to step into business one day. You want to be relevant and efficient? Here's your training ground, right here with your parents. All I want to say is, it pays to obey. It's good value for you, kindness. I think my slides have got a bit mixed up. In Timothy, it says the following. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Wow. Who thinks we're in those days right now? I'm not necessarily talking about the children in this facility because they're all angels. They're all angels. They listen and obey their parents. Technon hypercows. But out in the world... It is written, and in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and disobedient to their parents. There you have it. It is written. It's a hallmark of the days that we're living in now, I believe. You can see it written all over culture. Why? My charge to us up front was to say, own it. Christian families, let's go show the world what to do, how to do it. We have a book. We have a savior. The ultimate example to me again is Jesus. It says in the scriptures that his days maybe not have been long, as the scriptures says earlier, said earlier, but his days were rich. You want to be effective, you want to be rich, you want to deposit, you want to give back to life. Obey your parents, and it starts there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Moms do this naturally. Moms are the nurturers, the carers. A child is born, they get plugged in, they, they just naturally bond and have this relationship with their, nurturing relationship with their children. Dads, perhaps not so much, because life dictates other stuff. I had an absent father. 
My father wasn't around. He was always working. He was always in the army. He was always military. He was always doing something, sadly. My mom brought us up. They know what to do, right? Here's the challenge to the fathers. It's natural for the moms to want to love and nurture their kids. Perhaps not so for fathers. So here's the challenge. Provoke not your kids. It reminds me of a little story where a girl was sitting in class and they had to tell them about, what do your dads do? And little Johnny puts up his hand and says, my dad is the president of the company and he's fantastically rich. Oh, that's nice, little Johnny. And little Pete puts up his hand. What does your dad do? Oh, my dad's a professional rugby player and he's plays and he brings in so much money and we've got a pool and all that kind of stuff. And little Julie at the back says, uh, my dad's here. In the classroom with her is my dad. Fathers, provoke not your children. Bring them up in the ways of the Lord and spend time with them. It's so easy. Breadwinner, I've got stuff to do. I've got money to make. I've got to pay the bond. I've got to pay the bills. I've got to fix stuff around the house. And your kids? I've often heard it said that there's this thing called quality time. And to me, the mindset is time, time, time happens, and then you slice out a bit of time and you make it like really intense and really quality. I don't believe in that. I believe in time. Spend time with your children. As much as possible, spend quantity time with your people. Love them, teach them, nurture them, tell them stories. In Colossians it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Another scripture talking about the same thing. So let's talk a couple of things, dads, because it's being addressed here. Fathers, let's talk to the fathers quickly. And I'm one. What kind of things can we do that can provoke our children? And let's take a random few. What about verbal or physical abuse? It's horrific, especially physical abuse. Verbal abuse can be just as lashing and detrimental to your child's development and future and going to set them up poorly for their family of origin one day because they're going to flee your nest, like I've said. God forbid. Teach them to be a follower of Jesus. Next one. Unreasonable demands. I have a requirement for my kids to behave in a certain way. Sitting at the dining room table, having dinner, and there's a glass of milk. You know the milk story, right? What's going to happen? And the glass of milk goes flying, and you berate the kids because they are not acting like adults. They are not an adult. They are a child. Treat your child in an age-appropriate way, I think. Kids are going to be messy. Man, when they feed the face, it's not just the mouth. It's the all over. It gets messy. It gets yucky. It gets, especially the younger generation, the younger ones. Kids do dumb things. Expect them to do dumb things. It's okay because they're little dummies for the moment. But bring them up. Bring them up in the right way. Don't have to give slaps and smacks. And Yes, of course, if it's intentional and it's like, okay, I'm not listening to you or whatever the case may be, then we'll talk about this a little later. What about being too critical and never showing proper approval? The child brings home a report, and it's A's, and it's A's, and it's A's, and it's got to be minus. You could have done so much better. Why didn't you get a, an A for Afrikaans? Critical. 
that kind of language in the home. Fathers, fathers, fathers. A father who does not respect their child's feelings. Kids have feelings. They have very deep feelings. They haven't got a world of experience, but they've got a world full of feelings. And maybe in a conversation, you say something to a friend about your child, and your child goes to the room and starts crying, and you go in and say, what's wrong, my boy? What's wrong? You shouldn't have said that, Dad. They've got feelings. What's the appropriate response? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. A dad who never admits he's wrong or never says he's sorry, you're going to change the behavior of your children, as it says on the screen. What about this? How, how It says to nurture an admonition of the Lord. How can you discourage your children in such a way that you torture them? I did that once, to, not physical torture, please. <laughs> as much as um, my mom, uh, no, we won't go there. I won't tell that story just yet. I did this with one of my children. My cho- and I mentioned that the last time, one of the last times I was here about uh, bringing my eldest daughter, Darren. I just felt that this child was going to be a lawyer. And she was good at history. And if you're good at history, you remember dates and stories and scenarios, right? That's a making of a good lawyer because they've got ca- cases that they can reference. And what was my child was coming through and she wanted to be a painter. And I said, no, 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 no. You've got this child. You've got it. Never mind painting. You're not going to make money. You're not going to be successful. The, mo- the painting trade is overtraded. Not gonna, you are going to become a lawyer. Paid large sums of money, sent off to this university and to become a lawyer. She hated every moment of it because why? It's not her natural thing. It's not what God intended for her. It's not what God put inside her. But because of me, because of my desires and wants on her, I didn't let her flourish. I dictated to her. I tortured her in a way. Can you accept that? It's a guy thing. We want to relive our glory where I pass. I was a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. I was a rugby player. Son, you've got to play rugby. Well, I'm a goal... Get the heart of it. We, retry, we try and force ourselves and we try and relive, <laughs> relive our past through our children. Children are not to be molded. They are to be unfolded. What a beautiful statement. Children are not to be molded. They are to be unfolded. Parents, God has given each one of your children a gift a talent, a capacity, a personality. Your privilege as parents is to take that and unfold it with them. Talk about it. Discuss it. Look at options. How can I help you unfold into what God has got for you, not Dad has got for you? I'm going to mold them, hand the molding over to the big boss, the potter. Let him mold them. We unfold what God has given, so don't force them. And this is just some examples of, I think. Bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord in that verse. Hebrews tells us, for those who the Lord loves, he chastens. And that's another word probably for discipline. 
for those that the Lord loves, He disciplines. Let me tell you what the world sees. Read this with me. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants, when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are both or born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy their wants, each child would grow up as a criminal, as a thief, as a killer, or as a rapist. This is taken in 1926 from some American crime, uh, Minnesota Crime Commission. And this is the basic premise of children left unkempt, children left unparented, children left to their own devices, what their take was back in those days. And I'm not so sure that things have changed too much. And I'm not saying children are bad, don't get me wrong. But children that are left alone, that aren't loved and aren't nurtured and aren't brought up in Christian ways and Christian principles can very easily. And I think this is a sad um, or accurate reflection of what the Bible talks about, about that original sin that's inherent in all of us. When we submit and obey, we get guided and coached and biblically and parentally and peerly. Make sure you surround yourself with the right people. Make sure you, you get where I'm going. It's such an enormous thing. Kids are born sinners. They have so much potential packed in these tiny little bod bodies, unfolded with them. What do you do? It's gone quiet. I wanted to say, this is an extremely uncomfortable or unpopular teaching. Let's read some of the things. Proverbs was written by Dr. Solomon. If he was here today, I'm sure he'd be a doctor, right? The wisest man that ever lived. Here's some of the things that he deposited in the book of Proverbs. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. It doesn't mean beat the little blighter to death. It's a last resort, right? But discipline your children in love. In love. Don't take the rod. I had a mom like that. Mom, you probably are listening. I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> my, as I mentioned, my dad probably wasn't around too much. Well, he wasn't. And my mom was mom and dad, discipliner, and she had a shambuck. And if Grant and I, because we were the only two kids there, we were between the ages of zero and probably eight before the other brother and sister came along, we used to get shambucked, lambasted, welts on your bum. Because mom just, one of those, had enough. Give me a dog, but she, she didn't drink, but you know the story. <laughs> Discipline, the second one. Discipline your children where they, uh, while there's still hope of influencing their future so as not to uh, play a part in their destruction. If you do not invest in your children, you can lead them down a road of destruction because the world with that big, boomy, loud voice is going to, disip not discipline, is going to take their hearts and minds and bodies and off they go. And then we have AIDS and chaos and all those kind of things in the world as we have today. Foolishness abounds in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, from hell. The rod 
and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct thy son, and he will give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto your soul. Wow. Wisdom, right? Don't shun. And I know there are people out there that, oh, he's just going to grow, and that's all good. But when there's a line that's crossed, discipline, and it also means a smack. And when you say discipline with a rod, maybe a smack with your hand is an inappropriate thing because your hands are for love, for caring, and for nurturing. In my house, when my little kiddies were growing up, we had a little wooden spoon with a smiley face on the one side and a very sad face on the other side, and we called it paddywhack. And paddywhack, when the kids were getting disruptive, you put paddywhack down on the table, and they said, you choose. You choose which side, because they know what's coming. And when you correct them with the rod, in this case, a little wooden spoon, it's as much as a physical thing as it is a mental thing, isn't it? They've done wrong, they know. And what do you need to do when they do wrong? Don't wait till your dad gets home. He'll sort you out. And dad comes home and he's missed the kids all day. He's worked hard and it's hello, much. Yeah, you must have no foot that. Why? Because he did something at 10 o'clock this morning that peed mommy off. No, no. There's an immediacy and an urgency and a requirement to do that as soon as possible. Not later. When you discipline a child, if you, when, you, when they get to that point, Issue the paddywhack. Then give them a hug and tell them you love it. Put it, love them and put it behind you. Done. Gone. If you don't deal with it, something rises up in a child. Anger even. And what's going to happen? Your child can go off the rails, potentially. Deuteronomy says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to the children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What's the key word? Talk to them. Remember that time investing in your children, not the quality time, the quantity time. Here's a support of that quantity time. Talk to your children all the time. Oh, I'm just going to the shop quickly. Take them with you. Why? Because there could be a moment for you to talk to them about what I did today. Or there's something that could happen on the road. And child, don't behave like that. Do you, you, know, you, you can talk. You can guide. You can coach. Love on your children. Deposit richly into their lives when you talk to them. Absent fathers, change your behavior. Talk to your children. Dads, the, 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 the encouragement here is for, remember the beginning of the scripture? Who's he talking to? Fathers. Fathers. Because we're the chrits on the bokka. Mommies are normally with their children, right? In a court of divorce today, unless there's really, really nonsense going on, who gets the children predominantly? Mom, why? That's her care. Loving, nurturing role. Dads are out there working, sadly, all the time. How are we doing for time, Rich? Quickly, we've spoken so far about harmony, unity, husbands, wives, children, families. Let's go quickly to the spouses. Do we have time? Yeah. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We're now talking to people in the workplace, you as an employee or you as an employer. We okay? 
Bond servants is an old term back from, from way back when, where a person willingly submitted themselves to a person for the rest of their days. I like this person, I love this person, he treats me well, treats me with respect, and you became a bond servant with that person. I will be yours till the end of my days. There was even stories where they used to give them earrings. We used to clip their ears, I think it was, hey? Yeah, clip their ears. You're showing devotion to a person just as you would show devotion to Jesus. Here's, the, again, this, this theme of you are submitting to your, to your boss, to your employer, to your master, as the language is here, but you're actually submitting to Christ. And you would submit to that person willingly if that person was a, a, um, a Christian and obeying Christian principles for you in your life. There was a story in, uh, where is it? It's in Samuel, about David and Saul. And David, obviously being a musician, was a harp player. He wasn't yet on the big white cloud in the sky, but he was a harp player or a lyre player. And Saul was his master. And Saul was deeply troubled uh, scripture says that he called David to play his harp and music for him to calm him down, to soothe his soul, as it were. And on more than one occasion, I think it was around about three occasions, Saul would try and kill him, playing the harp. And he was so deeply troubled that he threw a spear at David. And he missed him, thankfully. He didn't quite get the point. Um, David says, I'm out of here. I've had enough, and he flees from David's presence. And the story in Samuel unfolds where he hops from city to city, fleeing from Saul, who sent eventually 3,000 men after David to bring him back. We've got unfinished business here. And they ended up, cut a long story short, they ended up in a big cave one night. And David was there with some of his men. And who pitched up into this cave? Saul pitched up there with a couple of his men. And they fell asleep, the story would let us know. And as he was sleeping, the men were nudging David and saying, David, now's your chance. There's this guy that wants to kill you. He's right here. He's sleeping. Take him out. Lop off his head. And David got there and probably was about to lop off his head. And the Lord spoke and said, leave this man alone. He's my anointed person. So what did he do? He cut off a piece of his robe. The next day, when dawn arose, he was still alive. There was a piece of his robe missing. And as they were walking away across the ravine, there's David. Saul, your life was spared this day by God. And here's the proof. I've got a little snippet of your cloth. Right? I clipped off a piece of his garment. Employees, employers, where are you clipping off pieces of cloth in your environment? Where's the slander? Where's the... Do you know where I'm going with this? With all those things that we could do, the stealing of time, not delivering your best, I'm cutting away. Are you snipping off pieces of your boss's cloth? Not honoring and respecting him? I wonder. It's tempting, I know, to lop off the heads of people in our environment sometimes because they can be real doofuses, I think is a polite word. <laughs> we won't necessarily lop off their heads, but we'll cut them, we'll nick them, just a little... Uh, take off the corner of their robe, dispose them, expose them a little bit. That's what we do with our words and our actions and our deeds. There's the analogy. But here's the response. We do not respect the man. We're respecting the position that the person is in. You, that guy might be a real doofus. 
Guys, when you get into the workplace one day, your boss might be a real doofus. It's not about the man. There's things that you can take away and learn from in that environment or from that person, but you're talking to the position, submitting to the position that you are there. Just as we submit to our position under Christ, submit to Him. And that's the encouragement from this text. You're going to be a boss one day. Do you want to be a boss one day? Don't cut corners. Don't cut edges. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Give your best. Don't be. Next verse. By the way of our service. Don't be our service. You're sitting in front of your PC and the boss comes along. Off goes Facebook and YouTube, the videos that you're watching. I'm working hard, boss. You're at the water cooler having a chit-chat with all the mates and along comes the boss. Oh, I've got to go. I've got to go to a meeting. I've got work to do. Our service and lip service. Don't do that. That's not how things should be working. How are you treating people around you, youngsters? How are you treating the car guards? How are you treating the packers that are packing your packets at checkers or wherever it is that you shop? You want to become a mighty man or a mighty woman in business one day? This is where it starts. It starts obeying your parents. It starts with submitting to your parents as if to Christ, even in your work. Because you kids are going to move out of the house, you're going to go into the workplace, and you're going to go and submit yourself to somebody else. And the principles that you're learning, the biblical principles you can apply to your work situation just as you can to your family situation. I'm feeling to leave it there. Do everything that you do as unto the Lord, and things will be well with you. We'll have longevity, long life. And it starts right in the beginning again. Children, obey your parents. I'll leave it there. Do it as unto the Lord. Everything you do. It was probably a bit longer than I thought. Sorry about that. But it's, I want to say what I said up front. This is not a popular topic. Uh, thanks to Gary and Louise, actually, for giving me the hard stuff. Submission. <laughs> it was a, that was a hard one. <clears throat> Wives, husbands, kids. This is even a harder one, isn't it? This is really tough. But I hope you can understand the heart, my heart, the Bible's heart, as how to nurture, how to grow yourselves, like Jesus did. When he submitted to his parents, like he went to the Passover, he submitted himself unto his parents. And he grew, and he grew, and things went well with him. I love you all. We'll leave it there.